0: To the False Neutral Podcast. This is episode ninety-five for November of twenty nineteen. All three of your hosts are here as usual this month, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about. So let's just jump into it. Hi, guys. What's up?
1: Uh, not a whole nine, lot. Struggling to say th- survive. I say nine inches of snow.
2: Yeah, I saw that picture. And I think I saw like a news report from Michigan, and it looked pretty intense over there.
1: It wasn't horrible i mean god i've I've lived through way worse living in Michigan <laughs> most of my life, but well, it's all, it's a little early for this big of a dump that's what, that's what, the, the main I guess issue
2: from my my perspective is one that uh where there isn't any snow in portland, and so like that that would devastate our city. <laughs> right. Like like a half an inch of snow would devastate our city. So when I say, you know, it looks like you guys are dealing with some snow, but your sanders probably not so much. Yeah, maybe a little early. But uh, over here, that would be like, you know, crisis end of the world level <laughs> apocalyptic snow.
1: The, so. uh, the only thing that made it interesting is that um, we're just about the point where all the leaves are off the trees, but not quite. Yeah. So a, a lot of communities, including mine, have curbside pickup for leaves, right? So Monday, or I think it was Tuesday, because yesterday was, as we're recording, as Tuesday. So today I think they're supposed to do it. Um, yesterday was Veterans Day, so they wouldn't have done it yesterday, I don't think. Um, it was supposed to be leaf pickup. So all these people, I hadn't done it yet because I had the date wrong, had all these all their leaves on the curbside. So then the snow falls on top of it. So the streets get a little narrow and then the city says, well, we're not going to do any plowing on the streets because all these leaves here and they just end up in people's yards and driveway. I'm like, oh, great. So we're going to have like half a lane to drive down some roads. So they're not
0: picking up the leaves because of the snow and they're not going to plow the snow because of the leaves.
1: Yes. Although they have actually started to plow a little. I mean, the main roads were fine, but like the neighborhood streets. Yeah, they're still a, a bit of a mess. So, um. But yeah, so I've got a ton of leaf. I, I got most of my backyard done and bagged, but the front yard I was going to put it to the curb, and but I never got that far. So mm. we'll see how long the snow stays. But yeah, anyways, that's fun and excitement here.
0: We didn't have a whole lot of snow. We had maybe half inch or an inch of snow, but we had real high winds, so we had a, you know, uh, interesting little drifts. But uh, for Kansas City in October, that's. Or early November is kind of surprising. So, it was 9 degrees this morning? Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, we're getting that tonight and tomorrow. It's like it's down to 18 now and I think the overnight low is supposed to be 7, so yikes. Yeah,
0: Definitely not riding weather. No. And for you probably Over- not even workshop weather.
1: <laughs> no.
2: Over here, it's been like 65 degrees and sunny, which has been amazing, so...
0: Well, 65 degrees and sunny, does that mean you've had the RZ out and you've been riding around the neighborhood?
2: Uh, the short answer is no. <laughs> I wish. I, as you guys have seen, I just uh, sent some pictures over to you guys, and, and in it, the RZ looks remarkably finished. And for about a minute, I thought that it was... Um, I got it all put together. What was this? Probably, I don't know, a week, a week and a half ago or so. Um, it's just like hundred percent done, ready to fire it up, put gas in the tank. And then there's like a fuel drip. And I, it, I, I was thinking, ah, oh, must be the pet cock. No, it wasn't the pet cock. Um, so you'll see in, in one of these pictures that I posted. Um, I never noticed this, but there was, um, what probably actually, um, developed into a hole over the past couple of years as it had been sitting maybe with a little bit of water in the tank, you know, th- this motorcycle, um, was a running and riding bike when, I, so I purchased it probably four or five years ago and sold it, um, to a friend of mine and right. he had it and, and it had never, um, ran since we had it. Um, but I did like see it run when I bought it. Um, so I just never imagined that there would be like, a uh, you know, pinhole rust hole in the tank. And it was probably just like on the edge of rusting through. Uh, and then, you know, over the course of the last couple of years sitting, it, it finally did. And so when I put gas in it, there is, um, some fuel leaking out of the tank. So I ended up having to, make a difficult decision i i um it the the tank is painted and it's not in like the perfect shape but it's in like usable shape and i really didn't want to go through the effort of painting the tank again so i sanded down the tank and welded some holes in it and also like identified a bunch of areas that were probably going to be problematic in the future and ended up you know, welding all of those holes up. And I think I'm going to do my best. I, I masked off areas of the tank that I didn't want to damage. So I could just try and touch up the paint on the bottom side of the tank so that it won't be seen uh, once the repair is done. It's like a really frustrating issue to have, like when I thought the motorcycle was done finally. So and I've just been so busy. I haven't I have repaired the tank. I haven't yet, like, repainted it or or touched the paint up. I should say yet. So it's still kind of sitting undone uh, until I get that resolved.
0: That's always the case, though. Big project. It really is.
2: And I will say that on this motorcycle, everything has gone remarkably smooth. And in and, and no project does that. At some point in every project, you run into an unintended consequence. That, and you have to backpedal, right? It just—it's like invariable. It always happens. And this motorcycle, it was like done, and I was about to start it, and everything had gone so smooth, and so it had to have a problem, <laughs> had to. It's just the law of the universe, right? Yep. So, yeah. So now I get to fix this gas tank, and maybe, hopefully, it'll start up, and everything will work the way that it's supposed to. We'll see. There's still room for some more problems. <laughs> I'm trying this- to be optimistic, but. <laughs>
1: Isn't this where you just hook up a gas can to it and just start yeah, it you,
2: just to run it? I, I could have, but I, it's just like, I, I, I really don't want to do that. I really I just know. want just, it to be finished Yep. and then, you know, everything be done.
0: There is something about having it all done, rolling it out and having that first ride without having a punch list of things you have to go back and do afterwards. Right.
2: Right. Yeah. And I, I'm a hundred percent confident it's going to start up fine, Um, yeah, once there's fuel going through the gas tank and petcock like it's supposed to. So and then there's there is one other issue that I identified. So normally when you turn the key, the ignition on the first time, it cycles the power valves to clean carbon off of them. Right. When I first turned the key on, when I put a battery in it, there was no uh, power valve cycling. And so I was kind of messing around with it. and, And manually I turned the servo motor. And then it was working fine after that. And I figured, oh, maybe the servo motor was just kind of stuck. But then it kept on, on happening. And so then the seat was off of it. And, and I had the key on and I, I put the seat on and latched it. And then the servo motor cycled. So I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of weird. Ground? So then, well, no, it's the the servo motor controller is right underneath the seat. And... Like if I turn the key on and it doesn't cycle, if I tap that controller, it'll cycle. So something in the controller is goofed up. I have an extra one. I think this one I'm going to take it apart and look at the solder connections and just try to repair it. I'm not really that worried about it because the default is open, which would give it the maximum exhaust port uh, height. Which is fine, because if it didn't have power valves, that's where it would be set anyway. So if it had, like, aftermarket cylinders, you would set the exhaust port um, timing to the maximum degrees that you would want it. Um, it's it's cool that it has a power valve, so it can adjust that power valve or the exhaust port height on its own. But the, the, the default is in, like, basically full race mode. So that's, that's okay. I'm not really that concerned if it works or not. But I would rather it work just because it's a power valve motor.
0: How much effect on power delivery in the power
1: band
2: does that YPVS? A bunch. More than anything else.
1: It actually gives you power from like four to eight. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. You actually have power from four to eight versus nothing, 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 nothing. Warp
2: speed. (laughs) In in two-stroke porting, the biggest gains are made in the exhaust port timing. So if you, you, you can port the transfer ports and, and that'll give you some decent gains and you can port the intake, but the exhaust port timing has the most significant effect on the performance of the engine. So when you have low exhaust port timing then then you'll lose a ton of top end horsepower and so really you want higher exhaust port timing and the power valve just gives you the best of both worlds you can have that lower exhaust port timing and build more Mm -hmm. torque at a lower rpm and then you can raise that exhaust port height as your rpms increase to give you more top end power so it would be night and day difference uh to have just strictly wide open exhaust port timing versus it being variable so
1: on my rz 500 it had really good torque from uh i want to say from like three and a half or four to about eight and then eight's really where the power valves open between eight and then like i want to say ten five or 11 was the red line on that thing yeah um and when you and when you were just like if you'd roll on the throttle you could kind of feel it come on about eight thousand where the power valves open yeah um But if you were like at, let's say, four or five and you whacked the throttle open and really took advantage of it, it would accelerate nicely to about eight. And then it literally was like the Enterprise going to warp. Everything like slows down for this fraction of a second. And then everything just kind of like elongates.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and I will say that um, the effects are kind of magnified on a stock engine. Uh, with stock exhaust pipes mm. stock compression stock carburetors is you modify the engine more and, and you make it more efficient then you can get away with higher exhaust port timings and not lose a bunch of low-end power because you've kind of made up for it with better expansion chambers and additional compression and better airflow through the intake and transfer ports so on a fully modified engine it's not really that big of a deal to not have adjustable exhaust port timing, um, which is what this engine is. So I'm not really that worried about it. But if the engine were stock and you had really high exhaust port timing, uh, it would be frustrating to ride. It would just be a light switch. Yeah. So. I,
1: the, I guess the, the difference in a completely <clears throat> different motor. But uh, on my RS-125, when I put it on the dyno, hey, I mean, just riding it, you knew. But... It had nothing to nine grand, yeah, and and yeah. A, and it literally went up at a, about a sixty degree angle right. to twelve five or thirteen. I'm trying to, I oh, have, yeah. I actually found that dyno sheet like a month ago when I was down in the basement looking for something, and it was in a folder with a bunch of stuff. I should, I, I don't think I scanned it. I should just for giggles. Yeah, thirty nine point one or thirty nine point five horsepower.
2: Yeah, <laughs> which is phenomenal horsepower for one twenty five. It really yeah.
1: is. No, it was, it was. It was a pretty pretty well-screwed-together motor.
2: Yeah. Um, something that I've been keeping secret from you guys until now is I bought another project. Sh- shocked. <laughs> yeah, shocked. <laughs> what, what is your other project that you've been keeping secret about? Um, so, you know, we talked about something like this on an episode uh, a while back. And I will um, – what I'm going to do is send you this picture because – this is going to spark and, and and I'll describe it to the the listeners once you guys see it but um so in slack i want to draw your attention to the best styled motorcycle of all time best best graphics of all time the uh, 1992 yeah. rm 250 with the full on leopard print kind of <laughs> zebra graphics well, just like the most outrageous Motorcycle that is so early 90s. Yes, I i ended up buying a 1994. It's actually an RMX 250, but it's the same thing as the RM, it just has a wide ratio transmission and a lighting coil.
1: You're gonna need some pink and teal uh, uh, off road jerseys for the yeah to go with that.
2: So, basically, what I'm gonna do is recreate the 92 RM 250. I'll probably keep the headlight on it because I'm thinking about keep making it street legal. But I'm going to do the same 1992 RM250 graphics on it, and yeah, that's cool. Is that seat cover on that 92 stock? That is, yeah,
1: yes. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh <laughs> I, that, oh that is yeah. I
0: remember, I remember the multicolored tiger stripes on the side. I don't remember the multicolored seat oh, covers. Oh yeah. <laughs> well. Wow, that is, that is yeah.
2: really tasteless i mean <laughs> <laughs> you know it was the time oh absolutely that was like the wild period and in, in motocross where it was like i think it was like 1998 so a few years later but um jeremy mcgrath i think won the 250 supercross championship and he had blue hair mm-hmm. he went to the award show in a white tuxedo and it was just like the most awful 90s style and the the ninety two RM two fifty was kind of like, you know, the epitome of that era where it was just like the wildest thing, probably the most iconic style of that of that time. And so I just kind of wanted to recreate that. I think it would be kind of fun.
1: It's <laughs> so. Very radwood.
2: Yeah. So that's what I got. That's cool. Very cool. I, I
1: take. I, and I'm assuming you got like a hell of a deal on it. Like you paid like five hundred bucks for it or something.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, I actually got it for free. <laughs> of course you did. Yeah, so I got it for free. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, it was and- taking
1: up space in somebody's garage and like, just get this out of here?
2: Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah,
0: Yep. Speaking of things we got for free, I told you guys a while back that after our discussion on the Aramaki, I said I wanted one and I had somebody volunteer to give me a frame for the cost of having it shipped to me, and I've got it shipped cheaply. I think I've let you guys in on my little secret that I didn't tell the listeners last time, just because it seemed so totally over the top that I didn't think I could do it. So I was kind of hedging my bet. I didn't want to talk big if I couldn't follow through. But the Aramaki frame currently has a 83GS750 front end, a Suzuki Bandit front wheel, a 600 Katana rear wheel that matches both in white And a GS500 sprocket carrier, which allows it all to go together and fit the frame and swing arm that I got. I'm not going to put an Aramaki motor in it. And last time I was kind of like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I actually did, but I wanted to make sure I could at least attempt it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get a Ducati V-Twin, something like maybe a 695 maybe a 750 something that's going to give me somewhere between a 350 and 400 cc motor on one cylinder i've connected with some guys that are actively building ducati horizontal singles one guy did it by disassembling it all and rebalancing the crank as a single cylinder and just blocking off in fact two two different guys have just simply blocked off that opening in the crankcase there's other guys that are actually building a rocker box that bolts in place of the rear cylinder that mimics the Super Mono's reciprocating counterbalancer with the vertical cylinder's connecting rod. Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of really cool little uh, CAD designs out there. It's not as totally unreasonable as people may have, or at least I thought it would be, It's actually fairly straightforward. I'm going to try to make something that looks like an Aramaki single, but it's going to have a single-cylinder 350 or 375cc Ducati motor so that I've got, instead of, Aramaki motors are just finicky and arcane and there's no parts for them, and they're overhead valve motors that aren't all that spectacular. Mm -hmm. They're not different than a lot of other Singles And they vibrate terribly. So this is going to be smooth. I could have a decent lighting coil and reliable electric start and overhead cam. And the Ducati motor has the, the counter shaft sprocket fairly far away from the center line because, you know, a monster's got a fairly big rear tire. And mm-hmm. in a... Ducati, the swing arm actually mounts to the back of the crankcases. So amazingly, it's actually a wide enough frame that I, I, I've been saying, okay, where's where's the deal breaker? Where's the insurmountable problem? I bought a Ducati crankcase for like thirty bucks off eBay that has a, one of the bosses broken off with it, so it's a dummy. But at least it gives me all the dimensions I need, and I can mm-hmm. test fit it. And somebody had. The left-hand crankcase from the original '73 Harley SS 350 motor for like 25 bucks. So I bought one of those. They're almost exactly the same dimensions. Oh wow. Mm. The Ducati's wider, and the crankcases come farther up on the on the barrel. You know, the, there's more of the interior sleeve goes down inside the crankcase. But overall, it, it's probably going to be a little bit longer overall, just because the the overhead cam and the the bigger cylinder, but the, I don't see a reason why it's not going to work. And so I keep going, okay, I there's something here that I'm, I'm missing because it can't, you can't just bolt in a different motor into a different frame. And it's kind of like,
1: yeah, I, I think I can. So, yeah. So you're going to have a Dumaki.
0: Yes. Um <laughs> The super mono balancer is really the only challenge. And probably what I'm going to do is for, for, Five, six, seven hundred dollars, I can get a running Ducati motor, you know, salvage off eBay mm-hmm. and then build a test stand, get it running as a twin cylinder, maybe with just a carb on the front cylinder, you know, take the spark plug out of the back, but make sure I've got it. so yes, i I have a known good engine that is running. There's not any weird things like you know the ignition wires are frayed somewhere inside that I didn't notice or anything. Get it running then take the back cylinder off, have a the crucial pieces of this rocker box assembly made, and after I do that, then worry about mounting it in the frame. So there's there's a couple of big hurdles here. None of this is going to happen until after I get my Boltaco on the road. Yeah. I had kind of been putting it off. I, had, I hadn't messed with it in so long that I was kind of just futzing around, shifting parts around. I finally said, no, just just get it done. So I've put more effort into it recently. The DT-175 swing arm bolted that up, actually looked pretty good, and got it aligned in the frame. I had to buy some extra hardware for my uh, chop source frame jig in order to make sure everything was aligned. You know, the swing arm, the front uh, steering head, the rear axle were all perfectly perpendicular and aligned to the center line and... Level and all that kind of stuff. I have a swing arm on it. Your engine mounting plates that you made up for me two and a half years ago yeah. are finally there in there. I have just enough room in between all the stuff that I bolted on for the chain run. Your plate is just outboard of where the chain is going to run. Uh-oh. And my bottom engine mounts are going to be just below it. But I think it's actually going to be enough clearance that nothing's going to rub anywhere. So mm-hmm. I I think I can make it work. Yeah. I'm I'm busy working on that. Once I get that to the point where either a big roadblock comes up and I need to spend a bunch of money on it or if I come up with it and I realize it is truly just garbage, I might go work on the other one. But for right now, I'm actually kind of really excited. I also hooked up with uh a couple of guys in the Boltaco Facebook group and I kind of told them what I was doing. And I said, yeah, I've got this 66 millimeter piston for, and it works out. That's like the, the fourth overbore. Mm -hmm. And one of the guys was like, if your cylinder's good, do not bore it out two millimeters just because you have a piston. I have other pistons that will work. Let's talk. And I was like, oh, okay. So having, having other people that that are voluntarily kind of helping me along into that niche helps.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool.
0: And uh, you haven't done anything in the excess because it's frigidly cold.
1: That, been distracted with a few other things, and uh, I did I did go out and work on it a little bit, just trying to clean some more of all the carbon up, <clears throat> and uh, the brass brushes I had weren't really getting anywhere, so I got ambitious, went on, uh, on Amazon, and ordered a six-pack of brass brushes, different brass brushes that fit onto my drill. Mm. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to try and do that to clean the the uh, tops of the pistons a little better and then the chambers and the uh in the head a little bit up a little bit and then we'll figure it out from there. So. Cool. And then, and then, and then try to find a cheap uh uh salamander heater for the garage. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 not die of, and not die of fumes <laughs> from the kerosene. <laughs>
0: Speaking of cleaning things up, uh, I ordered a inexpensive little, uh, gravity feed soda blaster mm-hmm. and 50 pounds worth of soda. Cool. Just yeah. before everything turned cold. So I have to wait until I can be out in the driveway and put a tarp down to clean up some stuff, but I want to see how that works. It's not the bargain basement harbor freight one, yeah. but it's, it's not a real pro level one either. It's kind of a, I don't know, sixties Eastwood quality. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in there. So yeah. well, that's fine then. That's, that's perfectly fine. And uh the nice thing for the people that don't using baking soda is really nice for cleaning up engine parts because there's no grit when you wash them off. The s- baking soda is water soluble. Because years ago, I read a story in one of the magazines that g- a guy did a complete rebuild on a CBX motor. He had shell blasted it. Mm. And a couple of little pieces of walnut shell got in an oil passage. Mm. He got it all together, wrote it for about 15 miles and squeaked it all over again, just because of that one little passage that was clogged up. And he is, his advice at the end of this story that he written was, so does your friend. Don't use anything, <laughs> but, soda on anything that's going to go internal in an engine, because if you soak it in a bucket for 15 minutes, you can just rinse it off and you're not going to have any residue that's going to be a grit in there.
2: Yeah, that reminds me. I haven't used it yet, but I got myself a really, 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 really nice ultrasonic cleaner Mm. for free also. Uh, a friend of mine works for Nautilus, the uh, like gym equipment, right? Yeah, exactly. So they're headquartered here in Vancouver where I live. So he works there in their uh, prototyping department and they use these ultrasonic cleaners actually for 3D printing. There's like support material. It's like water soluble, I guess, so that um, they can 3D print apart and the support material is water soluble. So they put it in the ultrasonic cleaners. And it'll clean all the support material away. And the stuff that they do want is printed in a different type of substrate. Mm-hmm. So um, they cycle out these ultrasonic cleaners just because every few years. And so it's like a very expensive, commercial, um, heated, really large tank, uh, ultrasonic cleaner. Um, and so I'm really excited to use it for like carburetors and stuff like that because um, some of the different cleaning solutions that you can use in them can make carburetors look like brand new and get into all of the little crevices where mm-hmm. it would be impossible to reach otherwise so I haven't used that yet but um, look for an update on that soon because that's going to be a pretty neat addition to my workshop so
1: nice yeah, very nice. Excited. Yeah, I would say oh uh, uh, yeah shipping's a bitch
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: shipping would be more than the
2: unit is actually worth. Yeah. So yeah. You guys want to talk about Ikma?
0: Yes, this. Um,
2: what do you want to say about Ikma? <laughs> wow. I I'm pretty enthusiastic about some of the motorcycles that have come from the show and we can talk about a bunch of them, but um, really impressed with MB Agusta and and some of their models. I
1: they're pretty. I don't know that I would want to ride one, ride a couple of those for more than about 40 minutes.
2: Um that's probably true. And also <laughs> I'm not sure I would want to pay for one. True. Fair point. Uh but in terms of design and, and also like the Brutal 1000 mm. that mm. is wild. Yeah. <laughs> it is absolutely wild um so yeah we can talk about that uh i don't did anything like just really stand out to any of you guys uh things that you weren't expecting um with models uh you know expectations met
0: i don't know what i think about the new naked h2 it's just as ugly as the (laughs) non-naked
2: yeah
0: (laughs) It's, first of all, listen, it's not a naked. It has a fairing right. with no windshield, which is yeah. the, kind of, kind of similar to some of the other quote unquote nakeds that have come out. I keep going, but it's, it's like a bruise that you can't stop pressing on. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like you can't leave it alone, but you don't like it. And it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm struggling with that a bit as far as being the outrageous thing that it is. I think it's kind of appropriately outrageous looking. I mean if it was too ordinary looking, yeah. it wouldn't stand out as being the 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 freakish thing that it is mechanically.
2: I don't know if the horsepower on the naked is different than the regular H2, but I'll say that there are some super nakeds now that are naturally aspirated that are approaching the horsepower of the mm-hmm regular H2, So it's like wild and supercharged and all that, but like how, how wild is it really? And then also, so like when you look at the side profile of the motorcycle and if you ignore the just horrendous and gross looking front headlight and whatnot, it's actually like, it's kind of a good looking motorcycle, just the, that front end. I, I, it's like, it's appallingly unattractive <laughs> um and i just could never never unsee that <laughs> and it's kind of cool because it's supercharged and i bet you could really turn up the boost and make a whole tremendous amount of horsepower you know kind of like the h2r um but it's just so ugly and weird that i can't get past any of that there <laughs> there are others nakeds that Well, in fact, I would probably have every other Super Naked before this if, you know, I were buying one. So that's that's my thought.
1: So the one that's actually uglier. (laughs) No way. Yes. Yeah. Trust me. Kawasaki has bought into Bamoto.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: And there was Kawasaki
2: has a hand in it. (laughs) Yeah. So the Tessie H2. H2. Yes.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're like okay. So in motor by Kawasaki design, you know, designed by Italians. Well,
2: <laughs> could go maybe wrong? Maybe not. Yeah,
1: no, <laughs> didn't quite work out. <sighs>
2: yeah, I mean, it's only well, you know, I guess it is uglier than like the of the past, but it's just weird.
1: I I will say one of the trends that I saw coming out of is is 900 CCs is the new 790-800
2: cc yeah it seems like everything's kind of bumping up doesn't it so like and, now like there's there's and it's a good point there's no real reason to have thousand cc limitations on road going motorcycles so now you have like you know 11 and 1200 cc bikes like the ducati v4 and the Aprilia rsv4 1100 and and so like the 600 CC super sports, like why really stick to 600 CCs? Just kind of, it feels like everything's moving up a little some,
1: bit. Some of it has to do, I think most of this has to do with Euro, uh, Euro, Euro five. Yep. Yep. Euro yeah. five is really starting to, to choke in. And if they want to keep the same performance, they're having to bump displacement.
2: And that's a good point. And it's still, it's pretty remarkable what some manufacturers are making with, with horsepower, especially considering the Euro emissions. Cause like, you know, the Ducati um, V4 is like 213 or 17 yeah, horsepower, yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. Um, the even like at a thousand cc's, well, I don't know if that's exactly what the displacement is. The MV Agusta Brutale is like 208, the new Super Naked. And I think, you know, there's a lot of, uh, leaps in, in engine designs and especially particularly variable valve timing and things like Mm -hmm. that, where they can achieve some, you know, pretty tremendous horsepower out of these machines that have, you know, 6,000 mile service intervals and warranties. A lot of these motorcycles now are making almost MotoGP numbers from, you know, six or seven, eight years ago. Yeah. So with a warranty (laughs) and (laughs) rideability, and that's, that's pretty impressive. A motorcycle that I'm really uh, excited about, but maybe not as much as I could have been, was the, the Tuano 660 concept. I think that the styling is really good. I wish that they would kind of update the big Tuano with some improved aesthetics like this uh, you know concept has. I think it's interesting that it's a parallel twin. And I do think that the bike was built around what they wanted to, to sell it for, which means they had to have some cost Mm -hmm. considerations, but I would have thought it would be magnificent to have a 650, 660 CC V four. That would have been pretty wild.
1: Yeah. But then that would have been $14,000 and probably even
2: more than that. Yeah. 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 Um, but could you imagine the sound of an extremely high revving V four motor?
1: Oh man, that would have been cool. Yes. 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 I can. Yeah. Um, I was a little, I was hoping for a little more with um, the 660 uh, sport bike, mm-hmm. mostly in weight. It yeah. came in heavier than I expected. Yeah. Um, that said, when someone pointed out, yes, but compare that to an SV650, yeah. and it's like, well, okay, <laughs> fair and point. And I
2: also suspect if you replace the exhaust with an aftermarket oh, yeah. system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It'll put it much more in line with what you were hoping. Yeah, uh, yeah. These new Euro exhausts are just like—I mean—so large and heavy. And
1: it was about 15 kilos heavier than I expected. So I think it came in like at—I want to say—pounds wise, like 373. I was looking for that to come in at about 350, but yeah, like you say, you replace the exhaust and uh, you're probably a couple, right about that. Couple, couple little points, yeah, because that's probably 20 pounds right there.
2: Yeah, one thing. So it's a parallel twin, but it's a two hundred seventy degree firing order. So it's probably going to sound pretty really exotic. good. Yeah, yeah. It's going to sound really good. Um, and then also being a twin and not a four cylinder is probably going to have better riding, like street riding characteristics. Yeah. So yeah. I do think that that's the right engine for the bike. Yep. Um, I think, you know, considering the price, the aesthetics and everything else, it's, it's a really interesting motorcycle yeah. and I'm and, really looking forward to it.
1: And the, and the Tuano version is only going to give up five horsepower. So that's like, right. that's nothing. <laughs> right. So, and on sale date, mid to late summer is what mm-hmm. I heard. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, price I didn't hear, but I'll assume probably 11, 10, 10 to 11 grand. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of in line with like what, Triumph selling the the street triple at
2: yeah. Hey, can we talk about Triumph for a second? The Rocket Three, the, this, like the what is it? The R? I think that they had a new Rocket Three, but there's like yep. the GT and the R version. Right, right. And the R version looks so cool. It, it looks does. like as good or better than a Diavel. Yes. Plus, mm-hmm. it has 2.5 liters <laughs> of engine displacement. Like that's a cool bike. I mean. I am fully on board with that. I thought the
0: old rocket three was so ungainly and they packaged that so nicely. And it looks, yeah, it looks like something I I look at. I'm like, yeah, I want to get on that. I want to try that. I want to ride that. I want to see what that like. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like I, I mean, honestly, it looks kind of like Ducati styled it. It's got like a single sided swing arm on it with like this really short truncated tail with like this really kind of like, it's like, I don't know if you would call it forward control seating, but it's like just the the stance. It's like low and long and it just looks exotic. I think that the the engine, if it's anything like the old uh, Rocket 3, it's going to make like at least three trillion pounds of torque.
1: It's like 167 (laughs) horsepower and 165 foot pounds of torque. Yeah, just remember.
2: Ridiculous. Just ridiculous, and it and it looks as good too. I, I I really enjoy that motorcycle. I just wanted to bring that up because like I've never really been a big Triumph fan, except for like the Daytona and um, the Speed Triples. I think were pretty cool, but uh, you know the 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 um kind of retro stuff I've never really liked with Triumph. Um, but these motorcycles are absolutely gorgeous. So uh. Really like them. Uh,
1: hundred, 100, yeah, hundred and sixty-three foot-pounds
2: of torque. Yeah, isn't that just wild? I mean, that's like as much as a car. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, let's see what kind of kind of along
0: the same line as your RM, the new uh, revised oh. V Strom. Yep. 1050. Yes. They've got a yellow and blue paint scheme. It's just retro enough to Uh be really, really cool. It's got a blue seat on it, uh, blue and gray graphics on a not quite RM yellow, more of a kind of a Mm -hmm. neon safety yellow. Now, they put gold rims on the yellow version that clash really badly.
2: Yeah, but that's like the traditional Suzuki race wheel color.
0: Right. There's a red and kind of an orangey red and white one that has black rims on it that I would, yeah. I would much rather have that on this one. And I think it would look better. They're saying it's all new. It's not all new. It's their same V Strom with different suspension components, a little bit of an overbore and different bodywork. But what they changed is really
2: nice. Yeah. I really like it. Well, this market, the adventure market has gotten so competitive lately. And everybody's kind of jumping into it, and it seems like, you know, the the V-Strom has been in for a long time. Um KTM has really escalated the adventure performance and and so manufacturers are having to catch up. It's good that they added a little bit of displacement. Now this makes it, you know, more competitive cuz like I think the Africa Twin now is 1100 cc's. Um, KTM has their big adventure, but their other one is, you know, 1050 also, like the, the V-Strom. I, I love the kind of throwback. It seems like a lot of manufacturers are really embracing this retro design thing and the blue seat with the yellow graphics on the V-Strom is, is pretty cool. I'm with you. I think it would look better with black wheels or even silver wheels would be pretty cool. Um, the gold is just a little bit, uh, you know, too much. For me, but um, otherwise, I think it's a really cool bike.
0: Yeah, there's no way I would ever want to have a V-Strom 1000 or a 1050, so I'm not even in the market for it. But I think it looks cool.
2: Yeah, and you know, I I I would be like at some point, I do want to get an adventure bike, and you know, that's that's something I think is pretty cool. So
0: you were talking about KTM. KTM finally released the 390 Adventure, and mm-hmm. I I I test rode a Duke. 390 and I really didn't care for it. Not having been a big fan, I have to say this looks really nice. It's, yeah. It shares the same weird insect yeah. corporate design language. So design I'm okay language. with that. Right. But as far as what it is, as long as it's not like blowing the top end off the engines anymore. Um, yeah. <laughs> something about that size. With a single cylinder, so it's a little bit lighter than, like, the Honda 500X. The, the 500, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it looks like that really could be a very practical sweet spot without looking like you bought a, you know, a, a Rebel. You know, you didn't buy yeah. a beginner bike. It, it still looks like a mature enthusiast motorcycle. I think it's a neat design.
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, smaller displacement adventure bikes are also kind of becoming a thing too. Like now Yamaha has their, the 700 CC, um, the Tenere. I don't remember. That's not
1: the tracer, right?
2: No, the Tenere. Yeah. Tenere. Ten- yeah. Tenere, tenere, but tenere, so yeah, it's yeah. the FCO seven or MTO seven engine. Um, but in the adventure platform, I, I like the idea of these smaller adventure bikes and also the adaptability that manufacturers are doing with their engines where they have, you know, like say your 390 cc with KTM, and you have a Duke. You have it in the kind of race platform. You can use it in the adventure bike, and it and it's it works well. You know, with their electronic tuning and in, in in each kind of platform that they put it in. So, I mean, I think that's all pretty cool. I think that the uh, the 390 adventure does look. It looks like it could be a hoot too. Oh, I was going to say KTM also has a updated new um, Supermoto uh, uh, 690 or 700 cc Supermoto that actually uh, looks more like a motocross style bike, but, you know, a little bit more substantial. But with their, you know, modern 700 cc uh, platform, I think it's like 77 horsepower uh-huh. in that range. So that could be a pretty wild ride. Also, it looks fantastic. Too, by the
0: way and they've they haven't had the 790 out that long and now they've got what is it an, 890 uh, yep. yeah it,
1: yeah and that's it, that whole thing about bump and displacement for euro 5 yeah that's what that's all about
0: bmw has come out with their own 900 twins uh xr and r what is it? f 900 r and f 900 xr i think uh, The XR is yeah. really cool looking. It's, it's a really impressive bike. And I know some people that are already like, yeah, shut up and take my money because uh, and people that weren't necessarily big fans of BMW are like, this is it. It's not super extreme. It's not super huge. It's truly if you wanted an aggressive bike that you could do anything with from sport touring to go out and carve the canyons to ride to work without spending boatloads of money and having something that weighs 650 pounds and has power, it it just seems like a really intelligent, again, that sweet spot of, I, th- I, th- I think it also, the XR, I think just looks really good. They, yeah. Their design language has really matured
2: really well. Yeah, I don't disagree. I give the vote to the worst name to Honda for their, quintuple r cbr 1000 r, r r r r
1: The Honda CBR pirate.
2: And and I feel like they have set this precedent now with adding R's, and it's like the next model, it has to have another R. Like, you just have to continue on. You've they're, set the They're going to have to
0: have, like, R-squared, R-cubed. <laughs> right. You know, they're going to have to come up with some kind of scientific notation to, to rein in their R's.
2: Who in Honda and HRC was like, yeah. Let's add another R. Like, and, and nobody will make fun of us. I mean, well, it, like, <laughs> it was,
0: it was probably, that discussion was probably going on the same time that somebody Harley went, let's call it the Bronx.
2: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I realized that they can't
0: call it the Street Fighter because that's something that Ducati owns the trademark mm-hmm. on. I mean, they could have called it the Williamsburg. <laughs> Andromeda would have been better than the Bronx. Anything would have been better it's just awful
1: they should have yeah. just been honest and called it the hipster I mean yeah. seriously that's what they're trying to do right yeah
0: I think they should have called it the Hail Mary I mean that really would have been honesty <laughs> yeah, and it come to me
2: <laughs>
1: the Not uh, gonna happen I, I don't know what anyone else has seen for reaction to the Honda the Honda 1000 pirate um <laughs> <laughs> But I think a lot of people are really underwhelmed and uh, we got to see because the last three revisions have been so not there. And everyone has been expecting some kind of like home run MotoGP based bike, sort of like Ducati did. You know, the the Panigale is so much an evolution of what they've done in MotoGP. And and that isn't for Honda. And it's the Honda Motor Corporation. First yep. and foremost, so I think a lot of people are like, hmm. Let's let's see. So yeah. yeah,
0: Honda's just weird. They're they're not playing to their strengths, and they come out with these weird things that are designed to, you know, capture new market. But then they don't really commit to it. They don't follow through on it. And I, I don't know. It's just weird.
2: So I will say the the new Fireblade um, Honda doesn't claim this, but some other people are claiming that it makes 215 horsepower and 83 foot-pounds of torque which is very competitive with the yeah. most powerful Yeah, that's um, right there
1: with Ducati and BMW and Aprilia. I mean that's right. yeah, it's right there. So
2: So in terms of power output it's there. I I was, you know, kind of hoping because I, as I'm, I'm almost certain it's still an inline four. Yes. Yep. Right? And That's all.
1: That's the whole thing. It's an inline four, and I think that's why people are really disappointed.
2: They yeah. Want
0: to... So I was really hoping. Is it based on the old one, or is it an all new engine?
1: It's an evolution of.
0: Yeah. Okay. So they're, they're still basically working on yeah. the same. I mean,
1: it's 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 significantly new and updated, but essentially it's an evolution of. So, but I think I think what people were looking for was, and I, for the lack of a better one, to call it. The the RC sixty, right? Because uh-huh. we had the thirty and we had the forty five, and I think what people wanted was the RC sixty, some kind of like really exotic. You know, if if it's thirty five thousand dollars, I think people would have been okay with it if it was like a really cool V four. Yeah, you know, Honda
0: for a while there, you know, they had. The RC bikes, they had the NR750. They did just to prove they could. The VFR
1: bikes were cool back in the day.
0: Right. Uh, uh, Gear-driven cams when that was like a big deal. The VTEC just because they could. And even like the V5 street bike. And they haven't seemed really eager to flex their muscle and go, look what kind of tech we can put on the street.
2: Yeah, it's here for a while and i think you know eric has said this before they're just like really clinical it's like they're so boring even if they came out with something like you know this new fireblade could perform very well but it's almost like just kind of boring compared to what other manufacturers have done right and it's just it's just not very exciting and i wish that they would do something that just kind of shook up people's, uh, you know, kind of late model ideas about Honda. I mean, for God's sakes, they put oval pistons in an engine. Like, they've done some, like, really innovative stuff, do something a little more interesting than, you know, a little bit updated Fireblade with extra Rs <laughs> on it, so.
0: Yeah, but they've got a new CT-125. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and updated rebel 300 and 500s
2: yes that is true yes because they needed that
0: and, well you know i even expected them they were supposedly gonna come out with the bulldog 500 a couple of years back that that was green lighted for production i was gonna they're not even doing their weird stuff anymore i mean you know, they came out with the nm4 and the ct or the yeah the ctxs and they were doing some mushrooms there for a while and they're not even doing that anymore. I mean, it's like,
1: Oh, I want to go back to one. What do you guys think about the Panagalli V V two? So Ducati, like, I don't want to say going back to, but like keeping the V twin people happy with the sport bike.
0: I, I think it's economics. We've got the tooling. Why would we put this stuff on the shelf when we can very economically continue to make some? And if somebody wants to buy one, They're probably not in the market for the V4 if this is what they want. We're not cannibalizing our own
2: sales. Yeah. It seems to make sense, like you said, especially from an economic point of view. It's two less cylinders and and probably some amount less complexity and cheaper to make. Performance is still really good. It's 155 horsepower. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it just kind of makes sense. V-Twins definitely have um, their own unique character in every shootout between
0: the newest Tuano and the V4 Ducati, not not the Tuano, the the, the well, Panigale. No, what's
2: what's the yeah the RSV4 1100.
0: Yeah, the RSV4 and the and the Panigale. Everybody was like the Ducati is so much harder. The V4 was so hard edged and took so much concentration that unless you were world class it was a struggle to get all the performance out of it. Yeah,
2: well, and the 1299 was even worse. Mm -hmm. It was even harder to ride than the new V4 bike. I mean, the 1299, most people say, is just a bear to ride around a track, unless you are very skilled. And so the V4 is better, but it's still much more difficult to control than other motorcycles, including the V4 that Aprilia makes. I just think that Aprilia hit a home run with their chassis you know, with the, the RSV and mm-hmm. which is funny because that chassis now is like a decade old and it's still like perhaps the best chassis, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and like the big, big displacement bikes. So I just wish they would improve their, set- well, no, no, not even improve their set. The, the RSV4, Update. the Tuana look great. It's just, I'm tired of looking at them <laughs> 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 because they haven't changed in a decade. So, I want to see an update. The new the six hundred and sixty, if they just kind oh, of like use yeah. that language and applied it to the the big bikes, that would be pretty cool. So, and, and that's probably what they'll do. It's my guess.
0: A uh, couple of bikes that we're not going to be getting. Uh, CF Moto introduced some Chinese built seven hundred cc V twin or uh, parallel twins, and I'm kind of interested in them because it's the first. Chinese bike I've seen in a while that really doesn't emulate somebody else's. They're kind of doing their own thing. It kind of reminds me of uh, a little bit of some Husqvarna, like, Vitpalin touches. It's got the tubes going around the tank like uh, Grizzo from MotoGuzzi. It's They've got, like, three different versions of it. There's a Heritage... One, I forget what it's called, the sport version, and then one that's like a cruisery touring version. And it's all difference in seats and tail sections and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering how long before we have some Chinese bikes that start being more mainstream, kind of style, style leaders, you know, that they start kind of finding their own design language. You know, you can look back at the seventies and every Japanese bike had pretty much the same lines to it. That kind of got recycled until uh, BMW did a whole bunch of different things, you know, with the R80GS, the pair car stuff. And there's been so many interesting evolutions that I'm kind of intrigued. Now, unfortunately, we won't get them because CF Moto's already said, nope, we're in the side-by-side business in the United States. Americans don't buy Chinese bikes, but they will buy Chinese side-by-sides. hmm And which is probably absolutely 100% accurate. That's probably the business case that Mm -hmm. does make sense. But I'm kind of disappointed because their heritage one, the one with the brown vinyl on the seat and slightly dirt track style tire tread on it, actually looks pretty interesting. Yeah. I read enough British magazines. I know they'll be for sale in the UK and I'm interested in how they... What they end up being, because I know in Australia, the CF Moto 650 Tour actually got a decent reputation Mm -hmm. for being reliable. It was not super sophisticated. You know, it had some rough edges and it was a little bit cruder than like buying a Versus or something like that. But it held up. It didn't fall apart in 18 months. So anyways, it'll be interesting to see where they continue to go with that because I could easily see the CLX being
2: an Italian bike.
0: Uh, that wouldn't, if somebody said that came from Italy, I would go, yeah, that doesn't surprise me.
2: So, speaking of Chinese and well styled, have you seen the, well, I think it's Chinese, Kimco Revo Next? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so they have a, an electric six speed motorcycle. I don't really know much about the engineering of it, but the design, like when I think of Kimco, I think of like the K pipe, which is kind of a neat bike, but it's also just like, a toy. It's like, yeah, it's like a Chinese little tiny motorcycle. But the, the Kimco Revo next looks futuristic and, and like it, it just it doesn't look like what you would expect when you hear the name Kimco. So I don't know if it's something that's actually going to be produced or if it's just... A concept i get the impression that they're going to build it but the question is will it come
0: to the united
2: states uh, yeah and you know it seems like there's a growing interest in electric motorcycles in the u.s but they still we still might be a little ways away from that so although i know
0: that the the genuine city slicker is actually selling okay for them oh yeah uh, you know that's that's a uh, I want to say fifty mile an hour top speed and maybe I'm, I'm making something up here. Forty to sixty mile range.
1: So, uh, sorry, Kimco is uh, Taiwanese. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think the the revolution for electric motorcycles will be when level two and level three chargers are more common, where you can recharge a motorcycle in twenty to thirty minutes. Yeah. Because that is literally where you could go, okay, I'm going to go ride and then, you know, charge, and then I can get a coffee, and then by the right. time I'm done with my coffee, I'm ready to go another 120 to 150 miles. Yeah. I but, mean, yeah, that that 20-minute charge time for a motorcycle, I think, is going to be critical. When yeah, they have charging
0: sure. stations outside the Rock Store, you will know right. yeah. that, that <laughs> the revolution is upon us. I'm yeah.
1: actually surprised there isn't one there already.
0: Well, you know, when you think about it, if you really just want to go out and carve the canyons, go have a latte or a burger and go home, there's no reason you can't do that on I mean most of those guys are not riding
1: more than 40 miles. Yeah, I there was there's was a discussion on that on on the Aprilia forum and it seems to be for the LA based people, 70 miles each way is sort of like a a good number. So they would need mm-hmm. like 140 to 150 mile range ish. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know what the, the Revo Next has f- as far as range. Um, but I know it's, it's, it's not
2: one of these little low speed. Oh, it'll early. do 120. Really? 127 is what it says. Yeah. Huh. And yeah. Yeah, it'll, it, it'll do, um, zero to 60 in 3.9 seconds. At least the short-term performance of it is pretty significant.
0: I tell you, there's a whole lot of people who wouldn't care about range. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Let me go out in front of my house and do that on my street. Yeah. I'm happy.
2: Yeah, the next question is, how well is it wheelie? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> there's a lot of lead in there, or I guess
2: lithium. Yeah. yeah, well, lithium batteries are light, but electric motors aren't, and it takes a lot of electric motor to go that fast, so... Yeah, that's true. Uh,
0: have we have we exhausted our examination of Eichmann? What's new?
2: I think we've covered what needs to be covered. Yeah, the interesting stuff. Yeah. We've
0: talked about CFMoto and Kimco, so we're well past what we need to talk about. It. Yeah, yeah <laughs> good point.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point.
0: Well, then we will wrap this up for this month. We'll see you all next month. Eric Garrett, thank you again for taking time to do this with me, and we'll see you all in a month or so. Sounds good. So long.